name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. I am someone who likes to plan ahead. My husband, who will forever be a Boy Scout, adheres himself to the motto, be prepared. We liken ourselves to one particular aspect of Santa Claus. We make our lists and we check them twice. There's nothing more thrilling to us than to have a multifaceted plan for a day and then to see all the goals on that list through. Just this weekend, we had a plan for our Friday day off, a highly ambitious plan to get our car fixed, to work out, to spend time with friends, to do some grocery shopping, to clean, and to have some perfectly scheduled time to relax, all within our plan. <laughs> we headed 10 miles away to the Hyundai repair shop, only to be told that this location would not be able to do the repair that they said they would be able to do. So about two hours into our day, nothing had happened yet. <laughs> the 405 was packed because of construction and wrecks, and our entire day's plan had been devolved. In today's readings, King David not only had a plan for his reign over Israel, but it seems he had a plan for God. We hear him to de declare in this morning's readings, look at this great kingdom I'm building. I live in this beautiful mansion made of cedar. And look at God over here, wandering about in a tent. David had a plan. He was going to build a mansion for God. And his plan quickly devolved. God spoke to the prophet Nathan, and Nathan declared on behalf of the Lord to David, Basically, you think I need a fancy house? A mansion for God is not in your plan. Don't you get it? I took you from being a boy out in the fields, a poor boy, and raised you up to this position of power. It's about my plan, not yours. So trust me. As Americans, we live in a culture where efficiency and privilege abound. We have ideas about how we can control the hours and the minutes of our days. And not just that, sometimes I think we have ideas about how we might contain God. God cannot be contained. Yet we live in this culture of instant gratification, where we time our lives to the very second, box in as much as we can, and all of this seems to make room for the birth of more possibilities. I am acutely aware of this every time I go to the grocery store. In an era where I can literally touch my plastic credit card to a machine, pay for my groceries, and get out of there, there's that man who goes to pay for his groceries and pulls out his checkbook and very deliberately writes that check. The woman who wants to pay exact change, and so she opens her gigantic purse <laughs> and starts to rustle around in there, in there past the receipts and the lipstick to that exact change at the very bottom of the purse. Or that very kind and warm exchange between the checker and the shopper 
that take seconds away from my busy schedule. <laughs> Being on the road a lot, I've discovered the most popular activity at stoplights when they turn red. Thankfully, that's stopping. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Make sure you do that too. Second most popular activity at a stoplight. What do you think it is? Texting, checking your email if you have a smartphone, and talking on the phone. Look around the next time you're at a stoplight and see all the people glancing down at their gleaming phones, maximizing their efficiency. Because we are people driven by efficiency. Our culture feeds our desire to maximize each moment we have. And as we find more and more ways to make our lives efficient, I wonder, are we missing out on some of the power of the incarnate God? It was in Africa, among the poorest people in the world, that I was most acutely aware of the efficiency in our world and how little it has to do with the work of God. Toledo is a Maasai man, a friend of Cheryl Kyle and the Kassoff family from years of mission work of St. Wilfred's in Tanzania. Toledo, upon hearing that our youth mission team from St. Wilfred's had arrived in Arusha, he set out a six hours journey to greet us. When he arrived, he'd had no food, no water, but a big, glazed-over smile on his face. So excited to greet our group. So we invited him to a meal. We sat down, ate. He used what little English he could speak to share with us how grateful he was for us being there. We, him, as well. And then, after his meal, he got up, walked out with his... Maasai stick, and proceeded to walk another six hours back to his home. Toledo is a man unconfined by efficiency, open to the power of God beyond a timetable. When we say yes to God, we have to be willing to let go of our plans, of our power, of our control. God brings good things full of life. But saying yes means being willing to be okay with our plans probably being diverted. Being willing to devote ourselves, to take time and energy that we don't believe we probably have. We're familiar with the story of the Annunciation of the Archangel Gabriel to Mary, that she will bear the Son of the Most High. And then within minutes, well, moments, <laughs> Just go straight to the next verse. We go three months in time to Mary visiting her cousin Elizabeth in a Judean country town. She's pregnant with John the Baptist. Mary said yes to God. And when she said yes upon Gabriel's visitation to her, she most likely had no clue what she was saying yes to. As she's saying, my spirit rejoices with God, my Savior, most likely the only tangible sign that she was carrying the Son of the Most High were several bouts of exhaustion and morning sickness. I wonder what we expect when we say yes to God. 
Have you ever said yes to God expecting something immediately good? Have you ever approached God in prayer expecting an instantaneous response? God cannot be contained, nor can the response of God. It would take over 30 years that the God who lifts up the lowly, fills the hungry with good things, that that plan would be fully realized in Jesus' earthly ministry. The result was probably not what Mary imagined on that day she said yes, nor what she imagined as she sang that song. As Mary sang that song, who exalted this God that lifts up the lowly, she surely did not plan or imagine that her baby, the king of kings, would be born in a filthy, foreign manger in Bethlehem. That her son, the Messiah, would die a gruesome death on a cross, convicted as a criminal, just miles down the road from the place of his birth in Jerusalem, far from home. In our I want it now world, it can be hard to accept the nature of the deliberate unfolding of the realm of God. And it can be hard to accept that the unfolding of this realm is typically not what we would ever ask for or imagine. Bruce Epperly writes, Like a growing fetus, God's realm is imperceptible until bursting forth, changing everything, and turning upside down the best laid plans of the wealthy and the powerful. I believe that God is reaching out to you. God is reaching out to me in imperceptible, unique ways right now. Do you and I have the faith to say yes to something that will not instantly gratify us and that will probably not go as planned. In order to receive communion in the Episcopal Church 30 years ago, over 30 years ago now, we used to require that you be confirmed in the Episcopal Church. I can only imagine how over 30 years ago that new 1979 prayer book turned everybody upside down, proclaiming that all baptized Christians, yes, even people who were not Episcopalian, young children, could receive communion up here at this altar together. Just last week, I gave the bread of communion to a young boy not yet two years old, a boy whom we baptized just about a year ago. He received the host, and I reminded him of the presence of Jesus. And as he placed that dry wafer on his lips, he chewed with a confused and disgruntled look on his face. (laughs) If we were to box in that moment, some might say that this child, and really any child, does not yet understand the power of the sacrament. But there's always outside of the box. Mark Douglas writes, when we speak of an uncontained God from well-contained places, an electing God from seats of power, 
a graceful God from positions of plenty. We don't miss the point of the gospel that inheres in these things so much as we miss some of its power. Just moments after, before that little boy came to the altar, I caught a glimpse of him, his sister, and his sister's friend from our preschool here at St. Wilfrid, standing right here, waiting in line to receive the communion of the divine sacrament that leads us all to a place of grace. They grabbed hands and did a little ring around the rosy dance as they approached the altar, their parents moving them along. Those three little children enacted the essence of the Eucharist in our midst. While none of these children may yet understand how a small, dry, consecrated wafer relates to the restoration of our lives to God, they understand what it means to lift up their hearts to our God of harmony and peace and wonder. And week after week, those children, along with us, are invited to be fed by the boundless grace of God. God cannot be contained. Where are you boxing in the potential of our life-giving God? In these next days leading up to the day of Christmas, we remember that the coming of God into this world through the birth of Jesus Christ was most likely dismissed as inefficient, maybe even unpalatable. Dismissal, or a flat-out no, is perhaps the easiest and most common response to those things which cannot be contained, those things which are out of our control. So it is with fear, with joy, with hope. We let go, we trust, and we say with Mary, the mother of God, yes to an uncontained God. Amen.